Today, Luke 13, title of my message is The Narrow Way. The Narrow Way. There at verses 22 to 24, let's start there as, as our theme through this chapter. Luke writes that he, Jesus, went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. We're in the final months before the cross, and as they are making their way toward Jerusalem and the triumphal entry and the final events that lead to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples are watching they're watching as Jesus is offering eternal life to so many. And they're thinking, if, why are so few people receiving what the Lord wants to give them? Have you ever thought that? He's healing, cleansing of leprosy, healing of blindness, raising the dead. This is not like some little nice little message he's bringing lives are being changed and many are receiving but the disciples are thinking why is it hard for so many just to accept who Jesus is and come into the family of God have you ever thought that I have thought it and as a pastor I've looked at some people struggle for years and years and never seem to be able to put old things away and let the Lord make their life brand new. And it's more than just having a new life in the Lord here. It is ultimately about being with the Lord in heaven. We know this life is temporary. And so the disciples just said, Lord, is it hard? Why are so few being saved? And here Jesus expresses sadness that there are not more who can hear what he's saying, receive it in their hearts, and move forward. Something is holding them back. Something is holding them back. And there could be a lot of things that hold people back. But to dispel any question, God is willing that all should be saved. God is not looking at some people and saying, not that one. Not, you know, you might feel like, well, you know, is God really interested in me? But Jesus says, God so loved the world. And Peter said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he invites but then why are there so few? And somebody, some in the world would say, well, your Christianity is too narrow. We've all heard that. We've all heard that. Let's look at it a different way. If you had a terminal disease and the doctor said to you, I have the cure and there is only one 
cure that's ever been discovered for this. Would you stand back and say, I can't believe you are so narrow-minded as to say there is only one way to save my life? Anybody say that? No. In fact, I love how simple it is so that anyone can figure it out. If it's complicated and too many choices, chances are I'm going to miss it. Just tell me the right answer so I can choose it and get on with my life. Many of you, many of us have faced serious health issues. And when the doctor says, we have to take care of this, what do you say? When? Let's get it done. Brad, we're glad to see you here today. <laughs> Has some serious medical issues, which the doctors took care of, and you're standing here. I had a very minor issue this week, um, and a little skin cancer, and they had to cut it out. It's interesting. We're just going to remove that. And I had, had to cut it out in stitches, like it was no big deal. But I would rather have that done and save my life than say, oh, I don't know about your solutions, your remedies. God says, this is the problem and this is the only solution. So we're not being narrow-minded, although the very nature of truth is by nature narrow, right? Moms, your kids are outside playing in the mud, and they come to the door, and what do you say? You are not coming into this house like that. Mom! I don't care. There's a hose out in the yard. I personally want into heaven. And I'm going to do what the Lord asks me to do to get there. The very purpose of Jesus coming into this world is to deliver us. When we say the word saved, are you saved? That's a very Christian phrase to say. It means saved from sin, which is the cause of separation from God and death. Saved from the cause of death and brought into life. Are you saved from death and brought into life? Are you saved from sin and brought into relationship with God? That's what it means. Are you saved? 1 John 4, 9 and 10, John wrote, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, a big Bible word, the propitiation for our sins. Anybody ever got out your dictionary and looked up the word propitiation? Probably not. You probably said, I don't know what that means. Someday I'll be sitting in church and someone will tell me. Today's the day. Propitiation means the one who takes the punishment, who takes 
the, the hit. Jesus took the punishment for your sin. I learned a few years ago uh, by my old youth pastor at Calvary Portland, Stewart, taught me that um, the, when we send a rocket into space and then the capsule, I forget what you call it, the part that comes back in has to bring our guys back, our guys and girls back, and has to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, the space capsule. It, it passes through intense heat. And they cover the outside of that with something called propitiation plates. It means there's something on the outside of that capsule that can take the heat. Isn't that awesome? Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. He took the wrath of his father in your place so that you could come back into fellowship with God. So a couple of reasons we're going to see in Luke 13 about why people are not coming into life and fellowship with God. The first one is that they don't see that they are sinners in need of repentance. They don't see that they have sin and need to repent. Back at the beginning of the chapter, follow with me, verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him, told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Galileans were hot-tempered people. They often led the revolts among the Jews against the Roman government. On one occasion, Herod stopped a revolt by, um, by killing some of the Galileans while they were offering sacrifices. And so the Jews, are, some of the disciples are saying, well, what do you think about them, those that were you know, suffered in such a way. And the implication is to look around us and find somebody who is in some kind of crisis or some other country, Ukraine, and we who are in a good place, we tend to think, well, what's wrong with them that God punished them? And does that mean that I am better than them because my life is blessed? That basic misconception of the grace of God gets us in trouble. Even if somebody's not a Christian, if they've done well in life, if they're well off, they, they seem to manage things pretty well, it's easy for them to think, I don't need to repent. My life's pretty good. And in fact, this false idea that God only punishes sinners, or it's the sinners who are suffering, I'm okay. And the truth is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
one of the amazing lessons to learn in life, in the Christian life, is that when your life is doing well, it's because God is blessing you, not because you're good. It's because God is good, not because you're good. Well, my life is so great, I must be awesome. No, you're not. That's my comforting word today. You're not so great. Can you handle that? Now, of course, God loves you and he values you even when you're doing dumb things. That is exactly the grace of God. And it is, it's really in our thinking, our works-oriented thinking, that if I do well, if I read my Bible, then God will bless my life. There's a sliver of truth in that, right? If you keep yourself in fellowship with God, there is blessing to go with it. Yes? That's not a trick question. You don't know what to believe now. I've messed you all up. Yes. Yes. There is blessing for keeping yourself in fellowship with God. But let's remember when God blesses you, it's not because you earned it. It's still not because you earned it. We give our kids good things, even especially when they don't deserve it. Because I want them to calm the heck down. <laughs> Harsh language. Uh, my wife is watching some of our other grandkids. And Teddy, who is three, is he three? Four? He's acting like a two-year-old. Teddy is two years old. No, boy, Teddy is great. And suddenly he just loses it and his temper. So, you know, you look at a, a little child when they just lose control and you can either punish them and bring the wrath down or you can think, what do they need? They need a rest. I think you need a nap. No, I don't. I think you need a nap. If it's me, I need a nap or ice cream or coffee. <laughs> just letting you know. But it's just hard to stop thinking, well, my life is good because I'm better than those people down there. These people and many people around us don't think they need forgiveness of sins because their life is pretty good. And so God who loves the world sees all of us the same. I like that. It's us who are making distinction about this race or this class or this gender. God is not making those distinctions. He has the same message for every person. Repent and believe on my son and come into fellowship. There are no special messages for special people, although I'm pretty special in God's eyes, I think. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his garden. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Verse 8. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone. Let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, 
after that, you can cut it down. And so he's kind of talking about Israel. Israel is in an unfruitful season. And in 70 AD, the Romans are going to destroy the city, the sanctuary, scatter the Jews. Uh, and that is coming in another 40, about 40 years. And so people who say, yes, I know God, and yet there is no fruit in their lives. There is nothing to show for it. And yet the Lord says, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll keep fertilizing, I'll keep caring for this person. And Israel and the fig tree are symbols in the Bible of Israel and prosperity for Israel. A friend of mine I just spoke to a couple days ago pastored Calvary Chapel, Napa. That's Napa, California. Everything around Napa is vineyards and wineries. Um, we played in a band together many years ago, uh, back in the 80s. And I went to his church once uh, just to celebrate his 20th anniversary of pastoring uh, at Calvary Chapel in Napa. And he drove drove us all through the vineyards, and he kept telling us things about tending the vineyards. And everything he said out of his mouth reminded me of caring for the church. And I, I'm writing things down, like, say that again, say that again. And he would say that the vines have to be thinned out so that the wind can blow through the vineyards and keep ice from forming on the grapes. Isn't that neat? He says that, that the grapes, actually, it's better for them to be stressed by the heat during the day and the cold at night because it makes them sweeter. So when God allows trials in your life, he's making you sweeter. Say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Some group uh, grapes that are not really taking the nutrition are pruned and allowed to cut to the ground so that the good grapes can receive the proper nutrition. He just kept telling me all these things about caring for the vineyard. And I thought, man, this is so cool. People didn't see their need to repent. And because actually, now think of this, because their lives were good, they didn't think they needed to be saved and they were going to miss out. That is the danger of prosperity in our life. That's the danger of having great success. Secondly, that the Jews were bound by religious tradition. And because of their religious tradition, they thought actually God already favored them and they didn't need to repent. At verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. Now, I want you to get the irony here. It is the Sabbath, the day of gathering together to seek the Lord, and Jesus has the nerve to heal somebody. Okay? We're here for church. 
ministry, we're not here to help anyone, but we're just going to have church. That's how silly this is. He said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Doesn't that sound spiritual? Well, the Lord then answered and said to him, hypocrite. I probably will not ever begin a sentence toward you, hypocrite. I don't think so. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his donkey, his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. We all know about the Sabbath, the Sabbath day in Israel. It was a day of rest God had given for the Jews as a, as a pattern after God, do you ever Wonder why the seventh day of rest? It's because God worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh day in creation. And so when God formed the nation of Israel, they were to rest on the seventh day after God's pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. And on that day, they were not to lift anything. It's, it, was, it was really not that very complicated. Their servants were not to rest, not to go out and plow the fields and do all the usual work. Now, all through Old Testament times, the scribe would take the simplicity of the day of rest and they would write volumes and volumes and volumes about the right way to rest. And it turned it into more of a burden rather than a blessing. You can't walk over a certain distance. You can't lift any object over a certain weight. You can't kindle a flame. You can't cook. Women had to cook meals the day before, so they would be... It was so much work to have a day of rest. And none of that was what God intended, which is exactly a note for you to take. The ways in which God wants to bless you that you make more complicated than it really is. Have you ever done that? No, but these hypocrites around me have probably done it. (laughs) God is constantly trying to ease your burden. One day of rest. The seventh year in the seven-year cycle was completely a year off. How many of you would like a whole year off every seventh year? Let me, can I praise Jesus right now? It was the problem for the Jews. The six years in which they did work the land were so fruitful, they would say, why wouldn't we work the seventh year and get even more produce? The reason the six years were so fruitful is because God blessed them. And he, especially in the sixth year, he says, I'm going to give you way more than you need. I don't remember the portion, a double harvest so that you can take the seventh year off. 
God said, don't worry about that seventh year that you don't work the land. I'll give you more in the sixth year and the first year, the years on the each side of that year off so that everything will be taken care of. I mean, if God guarantees you're going to be especially blessed on those two years so you can have a year off, I would go, okay, God sounds like a great plan. Let's let's go with that. But over the generations through the Old Testament, the Jews complicated the blessing of God more and more. They just complicated it, complicated it. So that even on this day of rest, on the Sabbath, which was Saturday, it was the seventh day, but it was actually sundown Friday to sundown Saturday was the the day, how they counted days on the Jewish calendar. So they are there at the at at the the temple. A woman is infirmed, and Jesus is compelled, uh, get this, to give her rest on the day of rest. But in the eyes of the Pharisees, that is wrong. I, I just I think how distorted does religious thinking get? How distorted does religious thinking get that Jesus cannot give rest to a woman on the day of rest? Because in their eyes, that was doing work. And we don't do any work. That is an example of how distorted religious tradition can get. And all around us is religious tradition, whether it's in Christianity or in other religions. Some of these traditions began for good reasons. Some of them were formed as a substitute for having a heart for God. If I follow these traditions or rules, then I'm okay with God. But God isn't interested in any Tradition as a substitute for having a heart for him. A heart means I repent of my sins and in my heart I choose to love God with all my heart. There is no religious tradition that can substitute for that. None. So why do we like traditions? Because so often I don't want to give my heart to God. And to ease my conscience from being rebellious, I will follow a tradition that will make me feel like I'm being religious. That's the purpose of religious tradition. It makes me feel like I am being good when actually I am resisting everything that God has told me to do. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God has not made it complicated. We're the ones who make it complicated. God intended for Israel to be a blessing to the world and in turn, there being a burden. Now, as we think I'm going to do the second half of my message next week. So I just want to, Stop here for a minute. 
We in the church, do we do that? Do we take the blessings of God and turn it into a burden? Absolutely. It's just the way we think. And if you've been a Christian very long, you're really good at it. And all of all the different styles and brands of churches out there, well, my church did it this way, and my church took communion this way, and my church baptizes this way, and we do it, we do it this way. And the familiarity of those things is what we all like, what we've grown up with. But the most important thing is that God has your heart. Not that you find a church that still gives you those same traditions to make you feel good. But God wants our heart. And so even today, there could be things in our, our lives that have captured our heart. And it is simply... Let the Lord forgive you of that sin and let him renew your heart. That The thing is, there's fruit. He's looking for the fruit. What's the fruit he's looking for? That you would love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just like Israel was to be a blessing to the world, the church has at various times through church history been an incredible blessing to the world. You don't really hear about it much these days, but do you know that it was Christians who started public education? That institution in our community that is now trying to take your children away from godly things? Christians in America started public education. Why? To teach children how to read so they could read the Bible. It was Christians who started hospitals, not the government. Why would Christians do that? To care for the sick and the infirmed. There are so many things that are part of our, our society that were begun by Christians. That were begun by Christians. We want to make sure that in this community... We love the Lord and we're a blessing to the community. How simple is that ministry? I don't want it to be any more complicated than that. That when people come and visitors come, that we're not just saying, well, we added numbers to the church. But they see in you people who love the Lord, that if people come who are sick or burdened or depressed, this is the place where they would find rest and not say, well, we don't have time for that. We have church to do. Everything can get stopped to minister to people. And we want people to know that whatever is happening in their lives they can hear the word of God here in a way that's just simple and about the love of God, not any more complicated. And my hope, uh, my plan 
as your pastor, is just to help you have a simple relationship with the Lord. And then from there go, okay, how does God want to work in my life? Pastor, can I come to that school of ministry class? I want to learn how to serve the Lord so I can be a blessing to other people. It's, it's, it's just that simple. And that makes church fun. That makes church fun. Let's stand as we close the service. And, and I want to remind you that as we finish the service, this is the moment to respond to the Lord. How many of you would feel like the Lord really spoke to you this morning about something? Let me see your hands. I know, put them all the way up. You don't want to really commit, do you? Some issue, something in your life, you're going, wow, that was for me. It's important that you just respond back to the Lord in worship, in prayer. I'll have some a prayer team up here at front in the front. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, please come up and have them pray for you. But respond. Respond so that you don't just go out and say, that was nice. That was nice. And as Lauren leaves us, leads us in this final song, let's just respond back to the Lord and enter into his rest.